Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. An ongoing conversation between two gentlemen, both roguish and intelligent in nature, about Michigan sports and life. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, one of those honorable rogues shrouded in mystery and obscure sports knowledge. And my dear friend, how are you, sir? I'm well, man. It's good to be back. It's a great episode this week, and it's hate week. Like, as like, I feel like as I get older, I should like, you know, evolve out of this stage of where sports is all consuming. But I just get further and further into the muck, and I kind of like being down here. It feels good. No, no, I'm devolving. With every day, I become closer to a Neanderthal. I eat with my hands at this point, and I just want to beat Michigan State by 59. So, I mean, what's the point? It's at this point, sir. It's recrudescence, a return to the mean. I don't care anymore. It sounds like unrivaled happiness to me, eating with hands, beating Sparty by that much. Let's go, sir. Uh, we got a great episode for you this week. We have the Sklar brothers, Jason and Randy, in the back half of this to talk about the Michigan State game. It is hate week, as you said. So we'll make sure to throw in some barbs as we get through this one. We got some quick hits, so let's touch on them. It is official. Eric All is out for the season. Something that we uh, I accidentally tweeted like when we heard it in one of the uh, the group messages And I was like, oh, apparently they don't want this out there. But it was pretty clear that he was going to be out for the season and they just didn't want to put it out until now. He had successful surgery on his back. Definitely a bummer. Just kind of weird how the whole thing was reported and handled being as how we knew it but couldn't report it six weeks ago. Yeah, it was very strange. Um, hoping for a speedy recovery for Eric All. Caden Colzar also underwent successful surgery this week on his, I believe it was his knee. So hoping to have both those guys back to health. They return to Michigan. I mean, that's awesome if they go pro or go in anything else. That's also good. But just hoping for them to get back to full strength, man, because this season had so much promise for both guys at different positions and different points of their careers that you hate to see it end this way. I don't think it is the end. The back stuff does scare me a little bit, but Eric all could go pro. I mean, he is that good of a prospect that someone could take a shot on him. More likely he comes back for another season. And if he's able to produce, that does look like an NFL player to me. So uh, regardless of their NFL futures, wishing the best for all these guys, hopefully they can heal up. This isn't necessarily a quick hit. I don't have any news to report other than uh, there was a dunk contest that you sent me with Kobe Bufkin that got me thinking. And then as well as some early buzz on, Doug McDaniel, but I just wanted to touch on basketball as it's right around the corner. This backcourt, Jalen Lewen, Kobe Bufkin, Doug McDaniel has a chance to be the most athletic backcourt of the Jawan Howard era and maybe the John Beeline era. I don't know if I can go all the way through Beeline, but Jawan Howard. Yeah, maybe, maybe a hundred percent Jawan Howard with what they can bring with Kobe Bufkin's <laughs> off the glass, through the legs dunk or jumping over uh, over another human, putting it through his legs and dunking the ball as well. Um, yeah, man, there's a lot of potential here. The buzz around Doug McDaniel is palpable, as is with Jalen Llewellyn. Like uh, Jace Howard was raving about him in the offseason, his ability to shoot, create, his command of the offense despite being a transfer. I think he could be one of the, the most impactful transfer Michigan's had since Sean Day Brown. I'm just kind of setting the stage because I'm really high on this basketball team. So I'm going to be making some claims in the coming week. So just want to let you know what's brewing. Uh, I got some thoughts on this backcourt. Bufkin has a long way to go from what we saw last year. And Doug McDaniel's only 5'10 and weighs less than me. So, I mean, I get it. Temper expectations a little bit. But athleticism-wise, 
very interesting. Very interesting. Speaking of Michigan basketball, Michigan got a commit from top 50 player, four-star center, Papa Conte, immediately becoming the best name on either Michigan football or basketball team. This is a big get, too. I mean, Hunter Dickinson eventually is going to move on to the next level, most likely after this season. So having the center in waiting by an athletic guy, more of a defensive prospect, but nonetheless, like you you got your center of the future now. And a guy named Papa Conte. This is extremely exciting, a big get for the program. And like to all your points, we're correct about replacing Hunter Dickinson eventually. And his name is Papa Conte. I only have one thing to say about Papa, and that's daddy's home. (laughs) Papa Conte is definitely the sauce that I want to put on my eggs if I'm living in New Mexico. Papa Conte sounds like an African warlord who will either draft your child to fight for him or burn your village down. Papa Conte is the best name to come to Michigan in years. I just want to keep saying it. It's I can't wait. I mean, we've always been like hyping up like your jersey purchase this season. We might just have the answer. Dude, it, and uh, you know, I don't want to uh, dip too much into the Sklar Brothers interview, but they may have played a role in who I end up getting. I'll just a little bit of foreshadowing. Next quick hit, there will be a light show going on this weekend at the night game. We will be there, mark my words. We don't have our tickets yet because we're being, you know, we're being shrewd about this, but we will be there. So you have to go to the uh, Michigan Athletics website or their app to download the light show but it'll be just be kind of a cool thing if you're there this weekend pull your phone out get the app going i don't know how it's going to work because every time i'm inside that stadium i have zero bars zero service i mean or else i'd be texting you the whole game I don't know what's going on, if it's going to be like how Nebraska has their light show with the lights going on and off above us or something like that, or blue and maize on the field. So I'm interested to see what it's go- like, what it's going to be like, the atmosphere. I'm all for fun theatrics that involve the fans, so let's have some fun. I mean, I'm all for anything that's fun. Uh, this is a bit of an aside, but there were some talk about the atmosphere at Michigan Stadium. This will be your first game this year, but you were there for the Ohio State game. My take on the atmosphere is that it's just not committed right now. Like they're not committed to like pumping music through the stadium. They're not committed to like the all going all in and stuff, but they're getting there. I would say that the the atmosphere is improving. So adding the Mr. Brightside Light Show, while not really my cup of tea, is just it's adding to the atmosphere. And that's all I want to see is like more cool things at the games, make it more like a rock concert than a sporting event. And people are going to have more fun there. It's it's window dressing. And I think what's been missing this season is just that big game so far. And this weekend presents that opportunity. As I said, like you said, I was there last year for Michigan versus Ohio state. And that atmosphere was raucous. And that was at 12 o'clock because it's Michigan, Ohio state, the snow's coming down the pom poms. So I expect to have like the first like staple of, okay, Michigan stadium is here is this coming weekend with the night game, the rivalry and just everything that's at stake. It's just weird because Maryland felt like pretty intense. My dad and I were like dancing around and the music was louder and you could feel the base of the music. Whereas Penn state, they toned it down a bit. And my theory is that it was for, you know, the celebration of the 97 team. You had a lot of like older alumni in town. It just felt like one of the older like back in the the 2000s and stuff, it felt like the same type of production. Whereas what I saw at Maryland and on the broadcast against Ohio State, you're like, oh, wow, they're making an effort to make this atmosphere 
like more like a rock concert, more interactive, you know, more intense, like maybe more geared towards a younger crowd, which I think we're all for. And the stadium renovations, which are now approved and we're starting to see some concept design for, are, are part of that and just improving this overall experience. And I mean, we're a little bit older now, but I think you and I still like to turn up when we go to the games. We would like an atmosphere that feels raucous at all times, even if you're playing Yukon or Hawaii. Yeah, absolutely. Always want to go there and have fun. Whether you're older and can't yell, you can clap your hands, you can stomp your feet. It's just, it's a very interactive experience. You said like a rock concert, it should feel that way. And I love at the games and they have the false start tracker, just showing your direct impact on the game. Like you can make a difference, especially at home games. It's called an advantage for a reason and fans are that advantage. And why not lean into that? I love that. Bring that sort of thing in, wrap the scoreboards around, add more sound to it, make it, I mean, it is a a home field advantage for a reason. And I love that we're saying we're a little bit older now, but literally you've been to games where the people in front of us had oxygen tanks and I'm like giving them bear hugs and like wrapping my hands around their shoulders, celebrating and stuff. So like, yeah, we're older, but I mean, we're not like as old as some of the people that go into these these stands. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see your first night game will be this Saturday, correct? Uh, technically second, co 2017 Minnesota, I think was supposed to be a later kick, but got delayed several hours. So it didn't kick off until much later. And that was when Chris Evans and Karan, Karan Higdon both had over a hundred yards and Kalik Hudson set the uh, TFL record. Remember it well. That was a cool game. That's right. That's right. So while not technically, yeah, yeah, I would say that that counts. But this one is designated night game against a rival. Can't wait to break that down in the second half of this podcast. Sir, cook on hockey for a minute. So Michigan swept uh, Lake Superior State this weekend. Adam Fantilli, the nation's leading scorer, who, again, just turned 18 two weeks ago, had a seven-point weekend. Both games you saw improvement from Michigan with defensive rotations, power play execution, and just improvement. That's what you want to see from this team. So Narato has them trending in the right direction. Play Western Michigan this coming weekend, a ranked team. I haven't seen the official poll yet. I believe they're floating around 15 to 17. So going to be a good test. It's a home-and-home home series, so play one game in Ann Arbor, one game in Kalamazoo. So another test, I mean, right after BU a few weeks ago. So this is great, and Big Ten play opens up in two weeks. We will be there for our first hockey game at Yoast on, what is that, November 25th? Correct, sir. Yeah. Harvard. Yes, looking forward to that. So we will be checking in on hockey and basketball more and more as those seasons progress. It's bye week, so no games to break down, but there's a couple subjects that we haven't been able to cover. We try to keep our podcast to about an hour and a half, but there's sometimes when we could go for much longer. A couple things I wanted to touch on that did not get the out of the blue treatment. The first one is the Penn State tunnel situation. This was blown back up in the media again because of Jim, Jim Harbaugh's outstanding comments, comments that really harken back to early Harbaugh days of DGAF. And that's my boy, first and foremost. But second of all, the situation itself uh, against Penn State, there was an altercation in the tunnel. Uncrustables were thrown, sandwiches of various natures and substances and ingredients were hurled. Insults followed, and blame is now being assessed with James Franklin saying it's the tunnel situation a week after the fact, which is bizarre. Jim Harbaugh responding. I just want to get your thoughts about this. Let's just talk this through, man. This is a bizarre situation, and I can't believe a peanut butter and jelly-induced incident didn't draw our attention sooner. 
So this interaction, one is just so silly. Like we've seen some hostility in the tunnel before, but it's mostly with like big rivals like Ohio State or Michigan State, but they're often few and far between and just harmless, just really good to build up hype and good for the TV crowd and to get the players motivated. This one was just silly. Like, and then it like culminates in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich being thrown. Like, oh no, not that one. Watch out for the bananas next. And then Franklin's response is like to critique the architecture of Michigan Stadium's layout and say they should change it. Like, it is just baffling that that's what he'd go to. And of course, not put any blame on themselves, but blame the stadium structure. So it's ridiculous, man. And God love Harbaugh's response. He who throws the first peanut butter and jelly sandwich should not criticize the architecture of the stadium, sir. Uh, Yeah, I love it that like RJ Moten was mildly inconvenienced by a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, That was really the extent of it. Some other words were exchanged. There was a minor, minor scuffle. And then James Franklin, you know, trying to deflect from the fact that they got absolutely boat raced on the road by Michigan is like changes must come. This tragedy cannot be allowed to happen again. What's next? A turkey club ham on rye. Like to when does it end? The only thing good for James Franklin was this, is that peanut butter and jelly sandwich could distract from the big shit burger they ate on the field. I wanted to ask you this, though. So on the scale of like funny and like comedic objects to throw to disrespectful, where do we land? Because peanut butter and jelly sandwich, pretty hilarious comedic object to throw. Like a dildo is the funniest thing you can throw at someone that won't hurt them and still be funny. Right. But this is a shade below that. Yeah, I feel like it's just a tick below. Among food, though, it has to be towards the top. Like, pudding, like, the consistency is really difficult to throw. Um, (laughs) Like a a sack of gummy bear or something has to be up there. Guess you couldn't get to Corm Sour Patch Kids in time to retaliate. A Chipotle taco bowl, a lot of ingredients, all free-flowing, a lot of sauces that are going to stain. Pretty disrespectful there. Yeah, any uh, anything that you can throw, like a Frisbee, a flatbread, pretty funny as well. Like a chalupa? Yeah, get a chalupa going. Pretty hilarious. Pretty hilarious. Um, all right. <laughs> We've gone significantly off the rails here, but uh, I do love Jim Harbaugh's response to the situation. And do you see this as like, maybe we're getting a little bit of the old Harbaugh back? Or is this just kind of old cantankerous Harbaugh literally meaning what he says? I don't got time for this nonsense. This is nonsense. Uh there is no old Harbaugh. This is the new Harbaugh that we saw come back last season that got back to winning and dominating and does not have time for this. Absolutely hilarious. Let's take a sponsor break. Glorious package. You can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part platinum package, everything you know and love about performance package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer, weed whacker nose, ear hair trimmer, proprietary advanced skin safe technology. Protect your delicate parts. Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. Look, for me, the best part about the Platinum Package is you start to get into a routine, you start to figure out your preferences, start to figure out how you like the shape, the trim of the bush, you're going to see your confidence rise. And that's what Manscaped Platinum Package can offer for you. Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. 
Manscaped. Clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, we're coming back, sir. It's hate week. We're talking rivalries. We like to do this every year when we get to a rivalry game. We'll probably do it again come Ohio State. Talk about the significance of rivalries. And I want to talk about how, how rivalries come about for a moment because it seems so clear like oh you know you you play someone a lot or you're geographically located near them but there's that way of coming about a rival but then there's also rivalries in the sense that you can just dislike each other as programs uh you can have some altercations on the field and then something happens between coaches or between fans that spills over there's a lot of ways to become a rival but I want to hear your thoughts. Like, what does it take to make someone truly one of your sports rivals? I think time is the biggest factor in this. And that's why it's hard to like manifest new rivalries because not enough time has passed. Like Michigan basketball is technically in like a little skirmish with Illinois basketball right now. But like it's not going to be at the level of like a Michigan State football or God knows an Ohio State football for one. And also, you you alluded to this. I think part of it does have to do with close proximity. I think that's the beginning of things. Like, you have to play them often. It can't just be once every few years. It has to be in division, in conference, a team you're going to play frequently or you live near. Because, I mean, that's where, like, most high school rivalries are manifested, taking it down to a more subterranean level there. But at this level, I think it starts with proximity, playing a bunch. And then I think the hostility comes from how the game is played. And then once you couple that with characters like Bo and Woody, um, I'm taking it further throughout the rest of the coaches and the players, the Eddie Georges, Tim Biakabatukas, and as it builds and builds and builds, I think that's what really makes certain rivalries rise above the rest. Some very good points in there. So is it maybe that there needs to be a level of dislike in the fandom and a level of dislike on the field? Is that what it is? Because the proximity part, plays into that fans that have to see each other all the time in particular with the Ohio State Michigan rivalry I'm staying in Toledo right now right in the thick of it you go in grocery shopping and there's a discussion when you're checking out about your allegiances because I'm always rocking my Michigan gear it's always a discussion so that proximity part plays into that fan interaction so is that does it have to be both the players don't like each other and the fans don't like each other Absolutely. There's no currency like pride. And that's what these what it boils down to at the end of the day amongst the fan base, alumni and current players. So I think when you have that just comprehensive, just disdain for another group that you live near and you've had success and you've had failures against, I think that has to add into it. So let's give the definitive updated rankings here. We don't necessarily have to rank them, but let's give our top five in some order of current rivalries um, right now, like we want this to be a snapshot of where things stand, how people view rivalries right now in 2022. So I think there's a clear top three that are both historic and still relevant. And that's Yankees, Red Sox, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan, Ohio State. Do you agree with that three? And there should be, should there be another one added to that? That feels like the top three. I definitely feel like the college ones are always going to have just a little more juice because the way pro sports have changed throughout the year. So I think the Duke-UNC, you got the Final Four matchup last year. You had the classic Michigan-Ohio State game last year. So you're guaranteed to play in these high-pressure situations. So I think those two rise above the rest, but you can't just – undo hundreds of years of history between the Yankees and the Red Sox either. Right. And Michigan, Ohio State, you could have made an argument before last year should have been dropped down a peg. But with Michigan,
Michigan winning and the, I, I mean, look at what's being set up at the end of November, just a monster game already being set up. I don't think you could deny that that rivalry is back. So that feels like the top three. And then it feels like it drops a tier. Don't you agree? Like there's nothing else. American sports rivalries. Like you can put Barcelona, Real Madrid or India, Pakistan cricket up here, but American rivalries, it drops off after that. I think so as well. We're not going to sit here and talk about Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton or anything like that either. But it's like, because there's other rivalries as well that are like smaller ones that are coming about that you see, but won't like, won't last the test of time. Like the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs are working on building something special right now. And it seems to be more of the premier rivalry in the NFL, but like the historic ones in the NFL, like Packers, Bears, have definitely taken a back seat in recent years. Yeah, no good NFL rivalries. Those are all gone. You're kind of like making new rivalries, but how long will these last? I mean, you had Indy, uh, New England. That was a rivalry because you had two quarterbacks going back and forth for a while. So your point about time is key here because if not, it's just a skirmish. I like how you describe that as well. Like it's just a one-off or a two-off or even a three-off. But when you get to five years of something, then maybe you can have a rivalry. Even that feels low. It feels like you need to have 10 years of animosity for it to be a real rivalry. So Casey Buffalo feels too new. Bama Georgia feels too new. And then like the the built-in ones that, you know, everyone that is a fan of some of these teams are probably like, well, what about Oklahoma, Texas? All right, well, it doesn't matter right now, and you're leaving conferences. What about Alabama-Auburn? Auburn's in shambles and hasn't really mattered for a long time. Uh, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, you're changing conferences. So it's like it's hard to find these elite rivalries that really still like have the history, have the animosity, and have like the fan bases to back them up, the amount of people that care about them. It's, it's a small handful right now, which is, I think is interesting. I'm not saying it's the death of the rivalry game or anything, but they're changing. They are changing. There's still smaller ones out there that will resonate like Harvard, Yale. But I think one that has a different kind of animosity, and you can directly relate to this, is Army-Navy. That game still matters and will always matter. It gets its own weekend, the last game of the regular season, in between everything. I think that one is a rivalry that will be played as long as there's humans on the planet. Yeah, I suppose I should have said something about that being a uh, Navy veteran, but it's just not the best football all the time. But I mean, if you want to get into that, we can get into Montreal Canadiens versus Toronto Maple Leafs and their bad blood dates back to the plains of the battle at the plains of Abraham in 1759. So I love a rivalry that's based on an ancient battle like Michigan, Ohio State, or at least an ancient scuffle. That's good stuff right there. Um, Other rivalries worth mentioning, uh, Antonio Brown and good PR. Tom Brady and a healthy family life, Devin Bush and a normal social media existence. I feel like those are definitely, you know, like all the Mount Rushmore of current topics or I don't know. There's a bunch of others like Aaron Rodgers and an honest answer, stuff like that. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers and a family that loves him. Yeah, there's there's some other ones <laughs> that we're keeping an eye on. Um, all right. Let's talk about the rivalry games that we've witnessed. In the doc, I wanted to talk about the ones that we've witnessed in our lifetimes, but you correctly adjusted it. We should just talk about the Harbaugh ones, but that does mean that you don't really have a top five because Harbaugh's record against the rivals, like we forget about it coming off the biggest rivalry win ever, you know, that any of us can remember. 
it's still not great. Like, so we need this one to start to swing some of these rivalry numbers. So let's rank these rivalry games uh, of our lifetime slash of the Harbaugh era. And we'll just get it out of the way that number one is last year's, right? Yeah, uh, unassailably, like as much as I wanted to rank our lifetime ones, I was like, good God, I don't have the bandwidth this week to, to revisit 2006 Michigan State. But, you know, we, we would do it if need be. But yeah, man, number one, come on, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's 2021 Ohio State. Number two gets interesting here, and you might have a different answer than me. I'm going to go the 18 Michigan State game because it felt like this year where it's like, God, we need to win this. And then you get the Devin Bush theatrics. Like, I was all in on that. We had to have that. It wasn't like the biggest beatdown. Uh, that would come the following year. But the Devin Bush game, give me second favorite of the Harbaugh era. A hundred percent. Like now we're getting to the Michigan state section because the Ohio state wins of this era are limited. And yeah, this was uh, easily my favorite win. you had the weird uh, weather delay in it kind of broke up momentum. You had some wacky plays really swing Michigan state's favor and in Michigan's favor, it felt like we were going to lose, felt like we were going to win, but ultimately you get the Donovan people's Jones lasting image of doing the Paul Bunyan pose. You get Devin Bush tearing up the field and you get 94 total yards of offense for the Spartans. The 94 would live in infamy as it would turn out. So that was a really good one. Um, okay, let's see next. Let's see if we agree here. I've got the 19 one, the year after the ending of the uh, D'Antonio career. I, as much as I like that one, I like 16 more than that one, just because you get revenge from trouble with the snap. So it's like that while the final score isn't as sexy, the 32, 23, I believe it was like 27 to 10 at halftime. This game was out of hand and Michigan just coasted to finish it off. And it just felt like a cleansing of the palate type of game. You're right. I'm changing my answer because you had to remember how you felt in the moment and 16 felt way better. 19, like we were still like kind of living on razor's edge. We were like, we still don't quite know about this team. Still don't quite know about Don Brown. That's when like doubt was starting to creep in. So in 16, yeah, I'll agree with you. That is the correct ranking. Um, all right. And then in terms of pain, that's where things get a little bit interesting. Uh, the most painful one. All right, let's start with uh, the least painful one. And that's 17 Ohio State. I agree with that on your rankings here because that was the John O'Corn year. We weren't expecting anything, and we played admirably. Yeah, it was a great scheme game plan. Michigan had a chance at fourth and four late. Uh, of course, O'Corn missed Chris Evans. Even later, he threw an interception after that. But expectations were so low in this one. It felt like house money. We kind of knew what to expect. And Michigan played well above their level in this game. 2020 MSU is next. That doesn't hurt me that much because you and I don't even look at that as a real season. I do wonder, though, we played, what, eight games that year? Six games? Four and two. Yeah, we played six games. If we went five and one, would we be counting those games more like steadfastly? Probably not. No, two and four was bad, but like even the wins looked fluky with different things. Yeah, I agree with you. Like I'm trying to think of the world where we went five and one that year. I would still be like, yeah, weird year, not counting it. Um, All right, next, 19 Ohio State. At that point, we were pretty much out. Um, And I think the thought process after that was like, large-scale changes need to be made so it's like disappointing it hurt but at least at that point we knew we couldn't win so there was some finality to it we learned something 
This is when they start to hurt, though, for me, honestly, because even in 19, you had the Ronnie Bell's finest moment drop pass. You had the big Notre Dame win. You had Michigan air raid against Indiana and Michigan State late in the year, so we're getting some momentum. You got just enough hope back in your system, despite the Penn State loss, despite the Wisconsin beatdown, that it still hurt. I remember you and I were together at this one, and it was not fun. The way it all trickled out and finished up and having back-to-back meetings, we were pretty checked out after this one. Yeah, and how bad it was. Like, that was the thing, too, is like we couldn't even really get into the game. Like, it was nine minutes in and I was already flirting with the waitress because I'm like, this is over. Um, All right. So uh, after that, you got 2017 Michigan State. That's the monsoon game. That was the what is Harbaugh doing? We questioned his sanity. Had, I was wondering if he was like huffing gas in between plays. That was just the worst coach game of the Harbaugh era. Yeah, worst game plan, five turnovers to zero for Michigan State. They just sat back and let us beat ourselves. After that, you've got last year's Michigan State, which this feels right. You might even be able to move this back a little bit because I do remember after the the loss being like everything's in front of us and that felt fluky. That's a great point. I mean, and that's the situation the team is in this year as well. So do you want to move that behind the 17 game? Yeah, move that one behind the 17 game because in 17, like, I didn't really have huge expectations. That was one year where we're like, yeah, we could lose three or four games. We ended up losing five. It was a little worse than we expected, but we didn't have crazy expectations for 17. Last year at that point, going into Michigan State, we thought it'd be a beatdown. So... Um, but then at the, at the same time coming out of it, I remember that podcast, you and I were like, I still think we line up well against Ohio state at home. So, um, all right. After that then is 18 Ohio state. This is where they start to get really brutal. We thought we had the dogs in that one. That was the, the defense that was, you know, five stars and four stars everywhere. If anyone can stop these Ohio state receivers, it was that 18 defense. It did not play out like that. It was the revenge tour. We'd won 10 games in a row. We were having such such a good time. And then all of a sudden they scored 60 points on us. Yikes. 18 hurts. Then it's 15 MSU. <laughs> this one, I was at that game. Uh, didn't go in. We were watching uh, just some friends in the parking lot at a TV. Um, we had stopped them and I walked away to like talk to some Michigan State fans to like be because we had been barking at each other the whole game. They were just being dicks. And I went over to try and make friends with them. And then all of a sudden I heard screams and I heard the stadium behind us groaning and we somehow lost. And I walked over to the TV to find that we had lost. And then the Michigan state fans surrounded us. And I was a pilgrim in an unholy land. It was awful. It was awful. That one hurts. God, this is all of this leads to why last year felt so good in winning because of all the recent pain. Um, yeah, trouble with the snap was uh, brutally painful. I had I was managing a restaurant at the time. I left my shift. I had somebody cover it so I could go watch the game in peace in my own sanctuary. I'm sitting there. I have my stuff on, ready to go back to work and finish out the evening. And I just like fell on the floor. I just like my legs like gave out underneath me. I laid there for a few minutes. Then I came to my senses and I went to work and yelled at my employees. <laughs> the chain of yelling, take it out on somebody else. That was very wise of you. Uh, the number one most painful one doesn't really need to be rehashed too much. It's without a doubt the JT spot game. 
which uh, I'll never forget that day. It's kind of sad. Like there's only a couple days that I'll never forget. Some of them are really great days spent traveling across South America or Europe. And then other ones are really bad days, really bad days. I'll never forget. And that one's one of them. The 16 Ohio State game. I was in a bad I was in a bad way for a week after that one. This one, I don't think I can ever like parallel this low again because it just felt like it'd been taken from me. Like it was unfair with that spot. Like they no like just took it away. Like that should have been the moment we've been building to this since 2011. Like this is our chance. We had all the belief in Harbaugh, and then it was just snatched from us in the most unsavory way. Man, it it hurts so bad. I like how you said like it could never feel like that again because for me it couldn't. What it took from me that day was like a level that I had that you could even hear it in the podcast, like the level of enthusiasm I had back then. Like I'm still, look, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing the podcast. I still love it. This is going to be my fourth Michigan game this year to say, I don't love it would be ridiculous, but I was a lunatic before that game. And I felt so cheated by the universe. I felt like evil had won over good, that there was no way God could exist, that it changed fundamentally how I take in football games. So yeah, that one impacted me a little bit. I have yet to be enjoy able to enjoy a football game like I did before 2016 since that one. And again, this is why last year's Ohio State game brought it all back. Like it brought back the Ohio State, got rid of all those demons. And that's why this Saturday's game against Michigan State can do to absolve the demons of the last couple of years. We've not beaten them since 2019. You and I are going to get to watch it in person, sir. This is going to be a great deal of fun. Anyone that's got some tickets they're trying to sell us that uh, don't cost as much as a Toyota Tercel or a you know monthly mortgage payment, that'd be lovely. We're still looking. We'll take what we can get, but no matter what, whether we're gonna, you know, sell blood and semen, we're getting in this thing. Not together, but yes, yeah, separately we can. And I've got a kidney that's for sure at least functional for now. I wouldn't trust it down the road. My liver is certainly, I mean, certainly off the table and shop. But I mean, the, I got a kidney. <laughs> I got one as well. You only need one. All right, sir, let's take a break. When we come back, super excited to bring on Jason and Randy Sklar, the very talented, very funny, very insightful Michigan fans, comedians, actors. They're going to come talk Michigan, Michigan State with us. Stay tuned right after this. Thank you, guys. Jason and Randy Sklar, comedians, actors, hosts of View from the Cheap Seats pod, which is intelligent and hilarious. It's kind of what... We strive to be with this podcast, trying to get there. These are the guys that really set the foundation. Thank you so much. Great, great Michigan fans and uh, connoisseurs. Thank you. Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you for being here. Appreciate being here. Thank you for having us. We love you guys. Love what you guys do. And uh, happy to come on and, and talk about our favorite thing in the world, which is Michigan sports. And thank you to the Michigan football program for giving us like the greatest fall season ever. You know, two seasons in a row of seven and oh, get coming into this game is kind of it's amazing. We have to appreciate how great that is. So that's a great place to start. So last season we had you on, we were talking about, so we had you on right around the same time last season. And we were, we were yeah. talking about the Michigan state game and where we're at this point. So with what you've seen up to this point, how do you feel about this team? You can compare it to last year's team, or you can compare it to just other championship level teams that you guys have seen. But what have you seen from this team that is leading you to believe that this team is on that level? 
Jay, go ahead. And then I I'll mean, go. So I think it's a it's a bunch of things. I think the main thing is the fact that Blake Corum has taken on some of Hassan Haskins' qualities in short yardage situations while still maintaining what he has, which is home run speed. And and Donovan Edwards has developed along the way, and the line has actually gotten better. So that the combo of those things takes the pressure off of J.J. McCarthy. So that means we have a massive weapon, which is a guy who on his own could take over. And I will add his ability to run has loosened up other teams. So now we have like basically the same running attack that is a matchup nightmare, even for Ohio State to this day. That matchup nightmare can take over any game if we're stressing, if our receivers aren't getting open, if JJ's a little off with his passes, we can just bear down and just shove it down people's throats. And I think that is a very calming thing and it keeps our defense off the field and it it just sort of covers up the, the errors that we have in our defense in a way that we just didn't even have last year. Like I feel like last year was good, but I think we have a better center this year. So those, those types of things I think give you confidence that we can move forward and move through this schedule. Even if, for example, weird shit happens, that's what happened against Penn state. That's the yeah. only thing about this team that I've seen throughout the years. Weird stuff happens we aren't ahead by as much as we need to be ahead. And then two weird things happen. All of a sudden the game's within reach. And then this team just pulls away after that. And I think that quality is, will serve us very well as we move forward because Michigan state it's happening near Halloween. I liken it to that moment where like you think you've killed the monster and it's like down or you think you've killed the guy. And so you start walking away and that's where we are right now. We've survived and we're, we feel like there's always going to be one last dive from the monster and you got to take that. We got to take Michigan state's best shot and then beat them into the ground. And then yeah. not stop. Beating I think this right team, now. this team has closed out teams really well, like closing out Iowa on the road. Kinnick is just a weird place where weird things happen. And you were able to beat the weirdness out of that place. This, this, you know, this Penn state, by the way, Penn state, played great in the bye week this past week and which is good for us in terms of your strength of schedule. You want them to be good. I mean, I'd like to see them. They'll probably lose another game. I'd like to see them lose to Ohio state and I'd like to beat Ohio state. This is how, how it's got to go down. But you know, I, I want them to be a good team. I just think like we, we have beaten the weird out of games, which I like. And that starts with the line play. I think this offensive line is better than last year. It didn't start out better than last year, but it's now, I think your offensive line now can do more things than your offensive line could do last year. And I would rather us round into form. Like I want to go into Rutgers and just literally destroy them. Like I want to destroy, I want to embarrass Michigan state this week, embarrass them, like take whatever they're going to be really hopped up. They're going to be really emotional. They're going to have some tackles for loss. Cause we're going to do some stupid runs like into a loaded box. Like that's going to happen. It is what it is, but come the third and fourth quarter, we're just going to be carving out massive, massive holes. And you just, you want the off- offensive line just to be talking to them. I also think our defensive line in the middle is better this year than it was last year. And that to me is great because you can force people out to your edges a little bit more. No, that's a great transition because this Michigan defense coming into the year had to replace three first-round talents and the defensive coordinator and then a few other key pieces like Brad Hawkins, Vincent Gray, Josh Ross, a bunch of team leaders and experienced players. How do you think they've done so far in this quote-unquote no-star defense, and who are some of those no-stars that you think are shining the brightest this year? 
I mean, Makari Page is one of your best sort of guys to step up. I mean, he's finally realizing who he is, and he's big. Some of it was like he's six five. I think Jake Butt was like, "This dude is six five. He's like, make no joke. People are saying he's six four. He's six five. Well, what are most tight ends? They're six five, six six, six seven, and he's two hundred pounds, maybe two hundred five. Like, get him up to like two fifteen next year, and then he's a guy who can take your best tight end because he's really athletic. He can thump. He's thumping a lot of people, so he's added some versatility to the safety room that I think we we haven't had. It's a bummer that Nakai Hill Green. I think we could be even better than we are right now if Nakai Hill Green is back and healthy. And I just don't know if he comes back. Truthfully, I'd love to see him come back for like four games this year, redshirt him, and then you know give him two more years of eligibility. But you know the linebacker is really the only question mark here. But man, I think you know uh, Mason Graham. I look at the future of this team. Graham and Grant and Graham are going to be awesome. Rayshon Benny has been playing really great in like spot minutes. Of course, uh, Mike Morris has just been amazing. That dude's been incredible. But Derek Moore, Yabioki, uh, Braden McGregor, like they've all Jalen Harrell. They they've all played great. They've all done like their thing and contributed. And I actually think there's there are enough guys that it's not all on one guy. So if Braden McGregor isn't having the best game. That's okay. Like there's like less pressure on him. There's, you know, whereas last year it was like, it has to be Aiden Hutchinson. It has to be. And he loved the pressure and he was amazing. But like, if he's having a bad game, like who is it going to be? Right. This year it's like, there's more options. I think. I would also add in the, the play of Mike Zaner still, it has been such a, do you guys think he sticks around next year to just hone his skills and become a better cover guy and sort of, you know what I mean? I think he has one more year of eligibility. He does. And I honestly think he will, because from a lot of breakdowns, they say that he's covering up so well for Dax Hill and coverage. that If he can clean up a few more things, he could be a fairly high draft pick with how like seamless he's adapted to the other side of the ball. Now he's been, he's been my favorite player personally on the defense this year. And you can't tell this is his first year playing defense at this level. So think about this. So if he stays next year, I mean, we've obviously, this is one thing that's disappointing. The only thing disappointing for me is, has been our recruiting. Like I'm super nervous. Like we haven't recruited any DBs. Chris Peel goes to a loaded, a loaded Georgia DB room. You're like, dude, that the team is loaded. And now you're in with three other guys who will probably start ahead of you. Why wouldn't you come here? You'd have a chance to start like as a freshman, perhaps, or break, certainly crack the two deep, but you know, you got, Will Johnson, I think, is going to be great next year. I really do think he's going to be great next year. I don't know what Jaden McBurrows is going to give, but I think Mikey Sanders still is your other guy. So I just, you know what I mean? Barry, Zeke Barry could be a cover guy. They could move him from safety to to just a straight corner. Like those are, you know, you have a lot of pieces. Thankfully, we recruited really well last year in that in that area, and we're going to have to do better in 2024. But I think. There are a lot of pieces on the back end that look really, really good. I think the question for me is in the linebacker core, and I think that's where teams are going to, as we start to get towards the playoff, if we're talking about that, if we can get past this weekend, if we can move all the way to Ohio State, win or lose there, I think you can be considered for the playoff. But I think the most important thing is who, where are our holes? Because teams, when they have a month to look at your team, they're going to start finding where your yeah, holes are. Who, who, okay, fine. But who is Ohio State? Like, what's their tight end play? Who are they matching up with your linebackers? Like, do they have like an, they've had great tight ends in the past, but, you know, I don't know if you guys really watched that Iowa game. Yeah. They were, they were human in that game. They were human and they're playing at home. Yep. 
they were human against Notre Dame, which I don't think is a great team this year. So I, I just feel like the gap maybe isn't as wide as we thought. I obviously think they always get up for that game. They love beating Michigan. They want revenge from last year. Although I kind of feel like it's far enough away last year that, you know what I mean? Like there's the revenge thing isn't a hundred percent. I don't know if that plays in like enough has been made and there's been enough distance. I don't know what you guys think on that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can use revenge. Like it's all so recent and it's almost like uh, I kind of look at the pandemic year as like a reshuffling of the deck and like that year doesn't really count in our minds. I mean, it counts on the scorecard, but it doesn't really count in our minds. And I feel like everything kind of after that is like things are starting anew and the rivalries in like a new Mm -hmm. place. But um, that that's a very good point. You also made some great points. I love that you opened with Macari Page when we're like, who do you see on this defense? We yeah. are we we are Macari Page fans here. I mean, I'm trying to elect him for governor yeah. at this point. So you guys now have mentioned <laughs> Barry and Macari Page when asked. Is that how you guys are kind of watching this games? Are you secondary aficionados and kind of watching this from the back end forward? Or are you looking like do your eyes go immediately to the trenches and then you work back when you're watching these games? So I go to the trenches because I just I'll watch a play three or four times, just go back and watch it just to be like there was a Kenneth Grant play early. He he almost got a sack. I just want to see where this guy is in terms of his development because he was he didn't come in in the spring. He came in in the summer. You know, he needed that little sort of that extra time. Will Johnson came in in the spring, so that was good. So he was given that whole extra bunch of practices and that whole, and that's why I feel like he's a little more seasoned. But to see Kenneth Grant like move a guy just straight into the the quarterback and he, I was really, really, really impressed. And again, you're seeing Rayshon Benny put it together this year. He was good last year. He had a couple of moments, but I think he's much, much better this year. So I look at the trench play and I'm like, man, how are we moving them on the line? Are we, and then you kind of, I work backwards and, and then work to the, I don't know where you look first. I start from the back end and move forward. So I, I watch, I'll watch routes. Obviously, I'm, you know, the TV coverage stays on the, on the line and we right. don't have the other coverage of the games. But when you look when I look at passes as they go downfield and they cover it, I'm like, where are our guys? Where are they? Are they around the ball? Are we close? Are we in position to make the play? You know, even in that, even in that deep pass that, that got over DJ Turner's hand, that that was just, he dropped in the bucket. Clifford dropped that one. Great pass. Nothing you can do on his arm. He was on his arm and maybe you can argue, okay, next time, instead of grabbing the the close arm, put your hand, you know. Listen, CJ Stroud is going to do that five or six times in the game. I mean, he's going to make the pass like he made to, to uh, in the touchdown pass last year. Right. He's but just so, going to make so it. Wilson one. Yeah. Right. The so, Wilson so, one. So go on that. Let's go on that same offensive possession for Penn state. So DJ Turner gets burned on that long play burned. You know, you can argue he was in position, but he got burned. What does he do? He follows up by being in position on the fade, which was thrown out to the corner in the end zone, and then they force a field goal. So in my opinion, yeah, he lost one, but he won one in that in that whole series. I mean, and it's the whole goal, team. It, that's like JJ. JJ throws an interception, and then what are his next – he goes 10 for 11. You know, it's like – he, this is what I'm talking about, not letting the weird spiral out of control. And, we, and I think we, as, as a fan base, we have not had a quarterback. May, and I even would argue that Tom Brady wasn't this guy at Michigan. We have not had a quarterback who will say at some point, I'm putting the team on my shoulders. I'm going out and winning this game. Since Harbaugh. 
I mean, Brian Greasy was a great quarterback, but he was a game manager. He made some good throws. He was he's more like Cade than anything else. Right. You know, he's yeah. a little bit so, better. So we have this guy now who, you know, we've never we don't know what that talent is. We don't know what that can do. I mean, essentially Clemson had that in two straight quarterbacks, and that's why they were ridiculous for like seven years. Like we have never had that type of talent in this position to lean on. And because we have it now, it hasn't even been used yet because of our line and our running backs. Wait till he feels comfortable enough to be able to just go do all the things he does. And when we start to see him blossom into who he's going to become, I think you can see another level of Michigan. Yeah, football. think about it. So he's hit like zero deep shots this year. He hit one to Ronnie Bell, 49 yarder. That's all he's hit. He's missed no, he every hit one, he hit one to Roman Wilson. Roman Wilson. Game. First pass. Yeah. Fine, fine. But for the most part, he's literally missed almost every single one of his deep shots. If he hits half of those next year, half, which is still way below his percentage of pass completions, if he just gets good enough to start hitting half, let's see, he hit half of those earlier this year. That Maryland game is over if he hits two of those way earlier. The Iowa game over. I mean, these games are over if he hits one or two of those per game. And I'm saying I'm not saying he hits all of them. I'm saying he hits half of them. So we've got that to look forward to. Well, there was one throw that really stood out to me in the Penn State game. It was on the flood. He's coming around and he throws it, I believe, from like the 14 yard line, and it lands right in. I believe it's Cornelius Cornelius Johnson, Johnson the 33 floor. yards. Yeah, yeah, it is deep down there, and he did that on the run. So I'm like. If you can do that on the move like that and read all three levels, it gives me really good optimism for him to can find that deep ball late this season. Yeah, and you know, he he the guy was wide open. I think it was either Schoonmaker or whoever was wide open 15 yards. So yeah, he makes he that throw. He's open on the same play. Right. First down, he he can throw that. It's an easier throw to make, but he he throws that other one on a diamond. Someone said the wind was in his face too. Oh. He threw that into wind. So like it was a bullet that he threw. That's who this kid really is. And as he grows and matures and gets better, and he's going to get bigger and stronger too. I mean, I like his size and I like just where he is and how fast he is. And he's just going to get smarter. I think like this is, they're, they're bringing him along the perfect amount right now. And so then next year and the next year, hopefully, hopefully he stays for two years. I think he will. And the next year and the next year, he could become that guy. Because I'm a little worried you're going to lose Blake Corm after this year, and then you'll probably lose Donovan Edwards after next year unless you can convince him to stay. But you might lose him. And then I'm like, ah, who do, again, it goes back to recruiting. I'm like, who do we have? Is Cole Cabana the guy? I don't know if he's an every down back and all this other stuff. So it's like – who is going to be that guy? And then you say to yourself, well, maybe we won't have, maybe we're going to just be this crazy passing offense. Maybe that's who we are. And we're just going to throw, throw, throw. And Darius Clements, get ready. And Tyler Morris, get ready. And Amarion Walker, you're playing both ways, baby. Get ready. Like, I'm down for all of that. I am. I, I like it as well. I'm not as concerned about the recruiting stuff because of the importance that the transfer portal plays, some of the ways that we've utilized that and the changes that appear to be coming with like NIL and stuff. I think Michigan's playing a little bit of the long play, waiting to see how the NIL shakes out and trying to be ahead of that, whatever it ends up looking like. So I am trying to reserve right. judgment, but I do share some of your concerns when you start looking two, three seasons down the road. But for right now, it does feel like we have everything except linebackers, which you guys touched on. Um, and Mikhail Hill Green coming back could help with a lot of that. So um, for this season, looking at what, you're, what we're looking at right now, I kind of want to look at the coordinators. We talked a lot about the personnel. But bringing in two new coordinators, it kind of yeah. went under the radar. 
that we're replacing these because right now we're, we're number four team in the country. Again, it doesn't get talked about that. We've got offensive and defensive coordinators that are new. So what have you seen from them? And have you been pretty impressed with both the new coordinators on either side of the ball? I have been really impressed. Jesse Minter has dialed up such great stuff. And the fact that he came from the same coaching tree and it's, you know, a John Harbaugh guy and it's the Baltimore Ravens, the philosophy is the same. The terminology is similar meant that they didn't have to just wholesale change it. So your kids can learn the basically are doing the same type of once they know, okay, this is exactly what we're doing for them. It's not learning a whole new defense. So that's awesome. And I think he really is playing to the personnel so much better. Like he's running such great, the thing he's done some things with Oki that have been just amazing. Like using Mozzie Smith, just being the beast that he is. And I'm saying, let's use this as a template for Kenneth Grant next year and the next year guy who can swallow up a double team and push two guys off to the side and then spin your, your edge guy coming around on the inside. Like, if he's fast and good, like that's Derek Moore next year. Or I mean, let's try and convince Oki to come back for another year. Like how great would that be if we get him back? But those little moves and those, dialing up those blitzes and they're almost like not even, it's almost like a run game stuff, which is so varied. They're, they're running these really weird variations that I'm not smart enough to know what those variations are. I can't even tell you, but I just know that like, defenses are preparing for a certain blocking scheme and then we throw something else at them and it just opens everything up and with good backs you go like so we're taking people's uh sort of assumptions about our tendencies and just twisting them that's what they're doing on defense too it's so complex and it's so cool and i mean first of all jay harbaugh is probably the best coordinator on the team every position group he goes to he is just i mean look at how good the safeties are this year they're just so good he was great with the tight ends and they're just amazing and Grant Newsom is really great with the tight ends. He's a young dude. The tight ends love him. Look at how great our tight end room is. And, and we'll be, if we get Eric All to come back next year, which would be phenomenal. And I want that kid to come back and have the year he deserves. And maybe he will just have this incredible All-American, unbelievable year. But Colston Loveland, Matthew Hibner. I was at uh, I was at the M Den right behind Marlon Klein and his German family. Like he's got like a little brother who was just like a little German kid speaking German. I was like, this dude is big, but completely uncamp Sandersoned out. Like wait till that dude gets just fully jacked. He's gonna be great. I, it's like I love I love it. And the coordinators to me have been doing such a good job with these kids. They're just there's no dud in the group. Don't you agree, Jay? Clink scale yeah. too. I agree. I, I think so. I think both coordinators, all the coordinators, everyone involved in coordinating both sides of the ball has done an amazing, have done an amazing job. I think what Minter has done in a beautiful way has maintained the unexpected, like inability for a quarterback to read what our defense is going to do. That was the most important thing that we needed to evolve from Don Brown to. We did it last year. We we're keeping that going this year. And I think as a result, you're seeing like weird pressures, tons of pressure. You know, that's how you're going to beat Ohio State is to get that pressure up inside and have that happen. We manhandled Penn State, who turned around and had a great offensive game this past weekend. I mean, Clifford had, what, four touchdowns? and I love how we stopped the run, too. I think that's huge on defense. I think our ability up front, I think the strength of our defensive line is keeping our team in and in dominating games. And I think the the coordinator recognizes that and then is just like our, our front guys can just tie people up. And that's why junior Colson's having a great season. And that's why some Sandra still has gotten a lot of quarterback pressures 
just because, look, our main front guys are tying people up. They're holding blocks. And then, boom, we got, you know, you have pathways to the quarterback for these guys on the next level. So I think that's been really good. I think on offense, you know, people are complaining maybe that we're being a little too conservative. But like Randy said, they're varying these runs, which is huge. And also the mix-in of J.J. McCarthy running, I think, is a little underrated. Like, he's only running six or seven times a game, but look at how many yards he's gaining and look at when he's doing it. He's getting first downs and he's getting major chunks of yardage, and I think that that's something we didn't have in the offense last year, and they're recognizing it. They're not overusing it. They're doing it just enough to keep defensive defenses honest, and I think that's in turn helping our other running game. Obviously, we want to see more passing. We want to see him fling it around the yard because he can, but I think they're just sort of wisely bringing him along, and you just got to give him credit. because Let me, look, I, have a, I have a question for you guys. Do you think J.J. – I think he's improved, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think has gotten better at – sitting in the pocket, reading what the situation is with his receivers and then knowing when to take off and, and sort of pick up seven, eight yards on his own. Like I felt like he didn't know what to do in the Maryland game and now he knows what to do. Like he's, he's improved a lot. He is the product of really good coaching and he really takes it to heart. Like, like Harbaugh has been harping on this all season that he doesn't make the same mistake twice. Like he processes it, moves on. And I think his week by week progression is almost like a textbook example of how you want a quarterback to evolve. And now that they've had a bye week, I'm excited to see that two week jump and how he performs against Michigan state. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, come yeah, on. And there's, and there's, there's something in him that's also that I love about him is like, cause you can argue that Ryan Mallett had all the talent in the world, but he was like a hothead who you're like, I don't know what he's going to do. Like he may like come onto the sideline and just go like punch a heater and like break his hand. Like <laughs> JJ, they focus on the fact that he like meditates before the game. He's so positive. He has such a good vibe about him that you do get this sense that he's pretty even keeled. That's why he's able to bounce back after an interception or a bad play or something like that. And he and that vibe is what I believe is being carried out through the rest of the team. It's like this sort of like calm confidence. And I think that's why that's why as I'm watching him over the season, I will admit at the beginning of the year, I was like, man, I don't know how we're going to do going down to Columbus. I think that's just a tall order. And I think we have to assume that might be just a loss and we just have to keep it close. Now I'm kind of like, it's even, I don't really know who's going to come out on the, on top on that game. And I'm feeling better about our chances. Cause I'm like, wait, this is a really calm dude. This is a guy who can walk into a tough situation and maintain. And I think that's an underrated quality within him that not all quarterbacks have. Yeah, fully agree. Andy and I talked after the Maryland game where we thought he could really value learning like how important it is to take four yards in a slide when that's all that's there. And then you saw just that. Movie that's right. Where like it, it doesn't matter that all you got was two or three yards. You avoided a quarterback hit. You avoided putting the ball into danger. You took what was there. And I think mm-hmm. you a lot more of that, which isn't going to impress Heisman voters. But I think people like you know us that are watching this closely and are saying, does this guy have what it takes? to win you a big game if you need it. I think we're all seeing it and just waiting for that breakout game. Yeah, I think he has the potential to, when he puts it all all together, and maybe that's not till next year, I think he has the potential with the weapons he has to have a Joe Burrow-like Agreed. And, and think about think about Bryce Young. I mean, he won the Heisman last year, and then, I mean, they 
he's had disappointment this year and the expectations are so big. They're huge on him. Like it's, it's a lot to put on a under 20 year old shoulders. And so that's like the danger of winning a Heisman when you're a freshman. Yes, it's amazing. But like, I kind of like the build to, okay, we're taking this guy along. JJ got a bunch of reps last year. He's now the starter, but they're bringing him along slowly. Next year, they take all the wheels off and you just let him do his thing. And then the next year, hopefully if he sticks around for a senior year, he's in the Heisman. To, talking about I, don't, him. I don't think you meant take the wheels off. I take the training wheels off. Take the <laughs> tiny, yeah. Okay. The, okay. Take the train. You don't want the wheels to come off. You want the training wheels off. You get it. Well, Randy, you gave me a good transition there, and I have to jump on it. You mentioned the word disappointment, and that word really rings true talking about Michigan State this year. What have you guys seen from the Spartans on both sides of the ball, and how do you feel with this rivalry? Because it's one of those, it's always like you throw the records out, because we've seen chicanery, we've seen trouble with the snap, we've seen it go all kinds of different directions. So what are your thoughts on Michigan State as a team and the matchup coming into this weekend? So I think they're they're going to play their best game of the year against us. They're going to give maximum effort. Like unless we beat them down and, and beat it out of them and like go up 28, nothing in the first half, which I don't know if we will or 28, three or 28 set, unless we just jump on them like that, we might be able to beat the spirit out of them by that point. But I think they're going to be, they have great tight end. Peyton Thorne is capable of playing a great game, playing kind of out of his mind. He can use his feet a little bit too, so he can escape. We can get great pressure, collapse pocket, and then he could just squeeze out of there. I don't think their running game is that great. I really don't. I think their defense is better than their offense. They have a couple of weapons, and and our guys are going to get tested. I, I kind of don't want to see... Was it? Uh, I don't want to see Reed on Will Johnson. I do not want to see that. It's like Jamon Green take him or DJ Turner take him, and then our guy Makari Page has got to step up and and cover the tight end. They've got that that guy. I don't know what he's like number eight or number nine. He's got like a weird tight end number. And that basketball guy, player, right? That guy scares me because I think he's a great safety valve. You can get nine, ten yards from that guy. He's got great hands because he was a great basketball player and he gets a lot of yards after the catch. So, you know, I I think the good news is yes, they're a three and four team. I'm kind of glad they beat the Badgers because now they're, you cannot not take them seriously. That was like the best thing that could have happened. Of course, I want to see them lose every game. I want them to have a terrible season and whatnot, (laughs) but I want to hang 60 on these guys. I don't want to stop. I just want to keep going. Don't get hurt because they're going to be looking to hurt you don't get hurt but i just want to keep keep driving and keep pushing and and pull out weird plays and i don't think you should worry about not you know putting plays on tape like you should put plays on tape there's like the two sides of it like don't put this on tape because you want to surprise uh ohio state but you might be able to show them something that looks like the trick that you put on tape and then just run a different place so you might be able to play off of that so i think like this is where you empty it all out. Empty nope. it all out. We haven't had a flea flicker this year yet. And we certainly have no problems running into the line and running up the middle. So I think they're going to be crashing to- down so hard. JJ, just pull that ball. They're going to be crashing down so hard because they want to tackles for loss and whatnot. We just got to demoralize them. We, we, we got to beat them so bad that you forget about the last two years. Yep. 
Well, what, one of the things, too, about them crashing down, I think this could be a big Roman Wilson, Ronnie Bell, A.J. Henning game because yeah. Michigan doesn't run a lot of traditional screens. They do run a lot of bubbles and things like mm-hmm. that. So you could see Donovan Edwards exploiting their man-to-man coverage or Bell, Wilson, or Henning getting involved mm-hmm. in the edge and using their speed to test that shaky secondary. Their secondary is awful, Terrible. and we should be we should be testing it all the time. Definitely throwing to Ronnie Bell. Definitely on Andre Anthony. I'd like to see a few yeah. like high point contested throws because I think we can get those in this game. I also want to see a couple of jet sweeps, like quick ones that go around the edge quickly that aren't slow to develop. I want to see we're gonna score on a wheel route this this like Donovan Edwards is gonna get a wheel route touchdown this game. And I really and do, I do think I do think there is something personal personal for Donovan Edwards. It is. He hasn't uh, played in this game. He really hasn't played in this game yet. Well, and his – so I go back and watch him in high school and you see how he basically willed that high school team to a to a state championship. He willed Bloomfield Hills to a state championship. You'd see him like from the four-yard line like run into a line and push the whole pile into the end zone because he would not be denied. I think some of that style attitude needs to come into this game for Michigan – Obviously, we got two years where we've lost to them, so there's no taking them lightly anymore. So we're in a situation right now where, as a team, they have to treat this like this is the most important game on the schedule. Don't worry about what's happening at the end of the year. This is the most, and I think the bye week might have helped them solidify that. I'm hoping so, and I also just think there's a there's a enough guys who were there last year who knew what that loss felt like who are like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we're not doing that again. And I think you're going to see something really special, in my opinion, in this game this weekend. I, I think there's going to – it might be close. There might be like a weird flea flicker, reverse, whatever, Michigan State chicanery, and they, you know, hit a couple deep shots. And, you know, we might be in the second quarter going, hey, oh, my God, it's only 14-10, or it's, we're, we're, we're too close, and we'll be panicked because that's who we are. But I think we can wear them down and pull away, as we sort of have in every single game this year. That's the hope. Uh, Jason, I like that you were kind of touching on some of the things that aren't necessarily like players on the field, some of the attitude, the belief, some of the history of the rivalry. There is no question that the Michigan players want this When You heard Blake Corm in the tunnel, not even, you know, celebrating the Penn State win in the tunnel, ready to mm-hmm. go to Michigan State. They definitely seem to be locked in. So the other like not on the field player component is that this is at home. This is Michigan Stadium under the lights. Have you guys been to an under the light yep. game before and what do you think that that's going to add to this rivalry game? I mean, never been, but it's it's always exciting. I mean, the Hawaii game this year apparently was ridiculously exciting, right? That was under the lights. And so, you know, if Hawaii can be exciting, you think about the Notre Dame games that we've had under the lights, the very first one, and then the one in the monsoon rain that Hassan Haskins like broke out on and I mean, those games are just incredible. They're just the energy, the excitement, the fact that it's Michigan State. And I think Michigan fans are just, they're going to be so amped up. Like they want this beat down so bad. The energy against Michigan State, like just the the, the amount of of hate being thrown towards that team from the fans, from the field. It's going to be amazing, and you're going to see like you're going to just going to see us so amped up. the The key is try don't take the bait on any of those weird fights because if you retaliate, you will always be the one who gets the flag thrown. Do not don't. This is what they need to teach the players. This is for you, Jalen Harrell. Don't celebrate on the field. Do not. 
run straight to the sideline. You can celebrate all you want on the sideline. Celebrate to the fans. Go put on the shades. Go put on like get get Miami's turnover necklace. I don't care. Like just you know what I mean. Like do whoever, it. Whoever 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 pulled Will Johnson away from Sean Clifford on yes. the sideline, smart. That guy deserves a helmet sticker. Give him a football. Give him a game ball. Yeah, because that that's what Michigan State's going to want to dirty it up like that. They just are, and you just don't want any of that happening. You want to be amped up. You want to destroy these guys. You want to put them down, but there's a way to do it methodically as well, just by playing great football. So we're going to this one. I'm actually driving up from where I am. Jared and I will awesome. be in attendance. So we'll awesome. bring all the Scalar hostile vibes we can bring. Yes. And please, please. Uh, so what do you guys think? How, how is this game going to play out in your mind? What are your predictions, players of the game? Who are we going to be talking about uh, next Sunday after this one's over? Jay. Uh, I think Michigan – like I said, I think it's going to be weirdly close at the beginning, and I think Michigan State will pull off something, whether it be a trick play, whether it be a weird sack, scoop, and score. Something weird will happen because that just kind of happens in this game. I do think that we have proven that we can overcome weird things like that. So I think we will go in at halftime only up by 7 or 10, whether it be 14, 7, 17, 10, 21, 14, something like that. There will be a little bit of panic and tension in the air. But I think in the second half, we always come out with a good third quarter. I think we might see a takeaway or two in the third quarter by Michigan's defense. You will see a tightening. You will see our offensive line start to lean on them. We'll start wearing them down. And I think by the beginning of the fourth quarter, Michigan's going to be up by 21. And I think Michigan finishes this game off. I think we win 45-17. to 17. That's my prediction on score. I think Blake Corum's going to have over 100 yards. I think Donovan Edwards is going to have 200 yards, over 100 rushing, and maybe close to 100 receiving. Uh, I like Randy's prediction of a wheel route. And I think JJ's going to have a breakout game because I do think they will be clogging up the middle. And I think it's going to be this moment where JJ's like, it's my time. This is my time to put a mark on this game like Braylon Edwards did years ago. And he's just going to be hitting dudes in the secondary because that's where Michigan State is weaker. And you're going to see our guys, you know, he might hit on a deep ball or he might hit on like a slant or a 20-yard rollout to a dude who can then turn it upfield. I mean, look, if Cornelius Johnson made that catch on the sidelines that he dropped, he could, that could have been a 90-yard touchdown. There's, there's definitely a few moments in every single game where, for whatever reason, J.J. was a little overthrow. He had a little too much, you know, he didn't put enough air on the, on the ball or a receiver dropped the ball. I think one or two of those actually will connect in this game. I think J.J. is going to throw between 350 and 400 yards in this game. Ooh. Wow. Right. 45-17 Michigan. I love it. Let's go. All right. I think – I mean, I want to see 59-13 to 13 and just pour it on. Like, don't stop. Don't stop trick plays. Don't stop. Change it up. Like, keep bringing guys in. You know, the defense, we're going to have to, like, live with the guys we have because they're going to play some tempo. But the truth is – I think we are prepared for this in every game that we played. So the non-conference schedule was weak and that sucked. I wish we would have played UCLA because even if you play Lucy, if we beat UCLA, which I think we could have beaten uh, that UCLA team and maybe just barely because I love, uh, I love their quarterback who Michigan recruited, but I think like, you, we could have won that game barely, but so fine. We had a very easy non-conference, but it, it allowed us to bring JJ along. The Maryland game, you are facing probably the best offense you face until you face Ohio State. 
Like that was it. You could have said maybe Penn State, but we just dispatched them. You know, Maryland definitely taxed us because they have three great receivers, two great tight ends, great running backs, and all that stuff. So whatever we're facing in Michigan State is not going to be as tough as Maryland. That's just the truth. The Iowa defense was really good, and we faced that defense. That defense is better than Michigan State. You know, we shut down some good running backs, and we shut down some and, – and Clifford is a crafty quarterback. Like I think he's kind of like a Peyton Thorne. To me, I put them in the same category. Crafty, can lead drives can do it with their feet and whatnot. And we pretty much shut him down too. So we've been tested in all the ways that Michigan state can test us. So I feel like that's, we're ready. There's nothing that's going to happen. That's going to be weird. And as far as like, it's going to, nothing's going to surprise us. Yes. Some weirdness will happen. It always happens. But I, I literally think Blake Corum's going to have an amazing, I think he's going to have at least 150 yards, maybe 175 rushing i think donovan edwards is like give me the ball he he wants to like jay said beat these guys these are in-state kids they're talking a lot he's whenever he's hung out with his old guys and whatnot that's all he's hearing is how he can't beat michigan state you can't beat michigan state so he's gonna want to do it himself i just hope he doesn't want to try and do too much and like jay said i think jj mccarthy has i think he connects on one or two of those deep balls roman wilson or ronnie bell he's going to connect on a deep ball or two or Andrell. I mean, I'd love to see Andrell Anthony be the guy again this game, break him back out again and get him get him going. I just think like you gotta let him cut loose because their secondary sucks. And I wanna see us and I'd love to see the defense get a takeaway or two. You know, it'd be fantastic. A pick six or something. I think DJ Turner's been so close to getting that pick six, getting that pick whatsoever. But just strip sacks, fumbles, let's just put him down. I uh, fifty nine 59-13. Uh, that's what I said. Uh, that's what I think it's going to be. Like, go blue, just destroy them. Let's go. Light my hair on fire. I am ready to roll after that one. <laughs> uh, you all said some points that I totally agree with, and I kind of took into my analyses. Uh, Randy, your point about, like, there just being no love lost, this feels like a boot on the throat kind of game. Like, I don't think – it. we talked about how Harbaugh seems to respect some coaches, like seems to like uh, Paul Christ, Brett Bielma, respect yeah. his wisdom and his girth. Um, but you know, there's other, he doesn't care about, and I don't think he cares at all about Mel Tucker and he's coming for this one. So I no. do think they might try to run yep. the score up a little bit, you know, for what Harbaugh does. And then, uh, Jason, right. your point about being a second half team and tightening the clamps, I think is an excellent point. Every game that has happened so far this season, the second half has been better than the first half. You can kind of look at the Maryland game and pick it apart a little bit, but I think second half defense is going to be the thing. And don't be surprised if they score first. They always find a way to score first in this rivalry. So, they do. Yeah, if we're they down do. a little bit in this game, I'm not going to freak out because this is going to be a second-half beatdown. Um, I've got it 38-14. They don't, they don't cross the 50 after the second half is how I see it. I think Andrew wow. I think Andrew Anthony's going to show up again. He showed out for us last year in this game. So that'll be part of the J.J. McCarthy coming out party getting deep with with Anthony Roman Wilson then of course the running backs. I love that you guys are feeling the Donovan Edwards in this game that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. They attack them in the back end. They don't have anyone in the back end that can keep up with any of our receivers or backs, but Edwards in particular nope. presents a problem. So um yeah, I I, I got it 38-14. Andy, last prediction. Uh, yeah, so one of the themes for this I've been thinking about all week when I was trying to like break down film and really understand and get a feel for their team and just keep coming back to the Santana Moss point of big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. Mm-hmm. And last year, Blake Corum had his worst career game 
against MSU. He ran for only 45 yards, averaged three and a half a carry, had a bad drop pass early on, had a mesh point fumble with McCarthy. And mm-hmm. earlier in the year, he spoke after the Maryland game how he had extra motivation from not facing the Terrapins in 2021. He was from the area. So I wonder mm-hmm. how much extra motivation is he going to have in this one, coming into this game? Just right after the Penn State game, he's talking about the Spartans. He said he worked out right after the Penn State game because the yeah. kid's a freak. So I think it's going to be a big quorum game. I love the Edwards pick as well. The Michigan kid, uh, Wes Bloomfield's back in the state championship this weekend, I believe against yeah. Cast Tech. So yep. uh, a lot of love there. So they'll be talking some trash to Trey Mosley, former players and friends of his. I mm-hmm. think Quorum's going to go for 25 uh, carries, 175, three touchdowns. Wow. And wow. as much as I want to see McCarthy open it up, nothing is more demoralizing than lining up, putting nine in a box, and still getting the ball run down your throat. Like mm-hmm. Penn State learned that the hard way. And defensively, yep. I think the defensive line needs to make a statement because last year they allowed 199 rushing yards. Kenneth Walker had five five touchdowns. touchdowns. Yeah. Last year, all tackles for loss in the game and sacks were only generated by Hutch and Ojabo. So mm-hmm. I think Michigan native Mozzie Smith is going to be the catalyst of chaos and stopping the run and opening mm-hmm. up things on the outside for those guys to make Peyton Thorne's life a living hell. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a Cobra Kai, no mercy type of performance. I think it's going to be a steady diet, 49 to 10 in this one. Yeah. That'd be good. Oh, yeah. I'll take that, man. Just de- pour it on. No mercy in any way, shape, or form. Pour it two. on. Go for two on every touchdown over 50. Yeah, Go for two. Just, yeah. just stop. put them away. Just put them away and try all of your plays. That, that two-point play to Ronnie Bell was like phenomenal. I'm like, who's stopping that? Nobody's stopping that. That's a great play design, and, it, you know, and you can now run stuff off of that. Fake that and go the other direction. I love they have that. so many plays off of plays. They haven't even dove into their bag yet. So I think we could see a couple more in this game, and then they'll go back mm-hmm. to their steady diet of running the ball. But I think as much as Michigan State will get cute with some Philly specials or whatever, mm-hmm. I think Michigan will just have one or two appropriate tweaks to spark a move or spark a drive. Yeah. Agreed. I, I don't Agreed. see I don't see Michigan necessarily getting too cute trying to open up the playbook with a bunch of trick passes themselves either. Michigan State might try to get in their bag a little bit on that, but I think we can beat them without oh, yeah, for sure. Without getting too cute on this. And I love the way that everyone talks about this rivalry because there's a certain amount of like mythos and reverence for the Ohio State rivalry. And with this, we're all just like F them. You know, go for three if you can. <laughs> yeah, beat them. What's the most disrespectful? Beat them, destroy them, put them down. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's come yeah. up with a new way of running offense to disrespect them uh gentlemen this will and then and then and then let's be to to ohio state what michigan state has been to us which is a weird thorn in their side and i'm telling you but that ends this weekend so sorry to interrupt your wonderful outro but i'm saying it all (laughs) all that nonsense ends this weekend it do it absolutely does i think that we're all in belief and uh Look, if it doesn't go well, we haven't really touched on that subject. If it doesn't go well, I think we'll all just be inconsolable for weeks, if not months. It's it's probably going to bleed into Thanksgiving, but I think we're all feeling pretty good about this one. It's going to go well. Don't worry about it. It's going to go well. I believe in this team. They can beat they can beat the weirdness, and that's what you need against uh, Michigan State. They're desi- so in that way, they're designed to beat teams like Michigan State. They're designed to not let weirdness beat them. 
Just yeah. stay out of Tulsa like gambling room. Just stay out of the casino there. We're not going. You know We're not going. We're nowhere near it, you guys. We're nowhere near it. I don't even it. know how I'm going to watch it. I'll probably be watching like the icons on my ESPN app phone. Not even watch <laughs> what it. What an electric. Oh, I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> 38 yards. That was electric as you watch an icon. <laughs> <laughs> you watch like the little ColecoVision football go like in the <laughs> tiny little dot, 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 dot. What a quarterback he is, that JJ. Great. Oh, man. This was great. Right? I mean. We can, uh, we can check you guys out over on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever uh, you get your podcast for cheap seats. What else you got going on? I bought my dad tickets to go see you guys out in Seattle a few months ago when you were out there. He loved Oh, it. right on. He had a great time. So cool. That's right. He came up and said hi to us. That was so cool. He came up and said hi to us afterwards, which was awesome. Uh, yeah, we've got some stand-up dates. If you go to superscholars.com, you can check us where we're going to be on tour. We're going to be in Rochester, New York. Uh, next month, we're going to be in Alaska. It's been a long time since we've been doing shows in Alaska. We'll be there in December. And then we're going to be in Denver in uh, January and then in uh, and then in San Diego at the beginning of February. And we're sort of planning out the rest of it. But we have a new show, basically our old show, Cheap Seats, on ESPN Classic. We rebooted it for the UFC. It's on UFC Fight Pass. It's called The Nosebleeds. First show is you can watch for free. Just go to our Instagram, at Sklar Brothers. You guys should all follow us there. We have tons of great content we put on there. But in the bio, you can click on the link, see the first episode of The Nosebleeds for free. We take a look at the first ever UFC, UFC 1, which is 1993, done in Denver, Colorado. Jim Brown was hosting it for some odd reason. We're like, Jim Brown was OJ unavailable. And then we're like, oh, wait, it was the mid-90s. OJ was booked, excuse me, in the process of being booked. So lots of jokes, really funny. And if you like what you see in that first episode, you just uh, subscribe to UFC Fight Pass, which is their streaming thing. It's really awesome. They have like largest combat sports library ever. You can watch any fight if you subscribe. You can watch any fight ever. Subscribe, check it out. The other five episodes are on there. And if you're a Cheap Seats fan, you'll love that. Again, it's called The Nosebleeds. You can check the first episode on our Instagram or even our website. You just click right on it and watch it. Give it a good review. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I absolutely love Cheap Seats. I'm going to go check out Nosebleeds tonight. Jason and Randy Sklar, thank you so, so much for your time. You guys are awesome. Great Michigan uh, ambassadors. And go blue, gentlemen. Go blue. Thanks, guys.